everybody, welcome to The Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boateng. This week, I'd like to talk about the Identifying Treatments for Taste and Smell Disorders conference, which took place in November, and all of the exciting news and research going on in the taste and smell world that were discussed at the conference. The conference, which was held November 14th and 15th, 2018 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, took place downtown at the Quorum at the University City Science Center, which is on Market Street. So the Quorum's located in sight of the Monell Center, so I got to see the outside of it, but I wasn't able to go inside this time, which just means that I'll have to make sure I get back to Philly so I can check out the inside of the center as well. So I wasn't able to attend the conference on Wednesday, November 14th. However, I'm going to go over a list of some of the topics that were spoken about at the conference. So the entire morning focused on stem cell therapies, and it was moderated by Danielle Reed, who's a PhD from the Monell Center. Here were the topics that were covered. WNT Signaling and Taste Papilla Development, Stem Cells and Regeneration by Sarah Miller, who's a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania. Next was The Regeneration of Sensory Hair Cells in the Inner Ear Balance Organs by Alan Chang, who's an MD from Stanford University. Next up was 3D retinal organoids, new frontiers for regenerative therapies in the eye by Natalie Vergara, who's a PhD from the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Next was taste cell renewal and cancer therapies by Linda Barlow, who's a PhD from the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Next, there was Stem Cells in the Taste Buds by Pai Hua Jang, who's a PhD from the Monell Chemical Census Center. That was followed by A Potential Strategy for Fixing a Broken Nose by James Schwab, MD and PhD from Tufts University. And finally, Olfactory Stem Cells in the Clinic by Bradley Goldstein, MD from the University of Miami. Based off of all of these topics, which I just presented, it seems like there's a lot of really exciting progress going on right now in the world of sensory research, especially surrounding stem cells. Also, I just notice when I read through this list how many well-educated professionals are focused on this area of research, and it makes me really hopeful. Okay, so the rest of Wednesday afternoon focused on gene therapies, and it was moderated by Linda Barlow, who's PhD from the University of Colorado School of Medicine. The topics covered included the following. Gene Therapy in Cochlea by Jeffrey Holt, Ph.D. from Harvard University. Gene Therapies for GUYC2D-Associated Retinal Disease by Shannon Boy, Ph.D. from the University of Florida. Next was Gene Therapeutic Rescue of Congenital Olfactory Dysfunction by Jeffrey Martins, Ph.D. from the University of Florida. And also there were two panel discussions, one which was in the morning and another which was during this afternoon session. Although I wasn't able to attend this day, I still wanted to make sure that I shared all of these topics with you that were discussed so that you know these things are being thought about and are being researched by really smart people. So for the second day of the conference, I was able to attend and will provide some brief feedback on each topic. Wednesday morning started out with a focus on clinical research, and this section was moderated by Joel Mainland, PhD, from the Monell Chemical Census Center, and the topics included the following. 
So the first topic was smell disorders, presented by Donald Leopold, MD, from the University of Vermont. And this presentation focused on the different types of disorders like parosmia, phantosmia, hyposmia, and anosmia, and what is known about those disorders. The next presentation was taste damage, causes, assessment, and treatment, and it was given by Linda Bartoshuk, PhD, from the University of Pennsylvania. The presentation covered taste damage and how it can be tricky to sort out if someone has if someone has taste damage only versus if they have olfactory damage as well. Again, these are just my interpretations of what was presented, so hopefully I understood the materials correctly. The next presentation was called Clinical Assessment of Chemosensory Disorders in the US, and it was presented by Richard Doty, PhD from the University of Pennsylvania. During his presentation, he mentioned Synsonics International, who did have a booth at the conference, and people could get their uh, ability to smell tested, which I actually did, and I'll talk about later in the episode. If you are interested in learning more about Synsonics International, you can visit their website, which is smelltest.com, and I'll make sure that I include that in the episode description. The next presentation was called Clinical Assessment of Chemosensory Disorders in Germany and was given by Thomas Hummel, MD, from Dresden University. One of the main takeaways that I got from his presentation was that olfactory bulbs can grow and shrink and that is why smell training is important. He also shared some great videos that showed how different spray nozzles deliver nasal corticosteroids into the nose and that some are better than others. And it was also pretty cool to just get to see the anatomy inside the nose. The next presentation was called Epidemiological Studies of Chemosensory Disorders and was given by Jay Pinto, MD, from the University of Chicago. His presentation discussed NSHAP, which stands for the National Social Life, Health, and Aging Project, and it has a focus on olfaction, among other things, and how olfaction can impact the lives of older adults. Wednesday afternoon focused on patient engagement and was moderated by Stephen Munger, PhD, from the University of Florida. The topics covered included the following. So the first presentation was titled Summary of Day 1 for Patients and was given by Casey Trimmer, PhD from Fermanich or Fermanich, I'm not sure which one it is, but this is a company um, that's the world's largest privately owned fragrance and flavor company, which creates fragrances and flavors for the world's most desirable brands. So Dr. Trimmer did an excellent job of explaining how clinical research works and how it has progressed for the four senses of taste, smell, hearing, and vision. And the main takeaway was that smell and taste are lagging behind hearing and vision research, but that things are slowly but surely improving and picking up speed, which is exciting. The next presentation was given by Chris Kelly, and it was titled Patients Together on the Web, Internet Resources for Chemosensory Loss. And if you don't remember, Chris Kelly runs the smelltraining.co.uk website and Facebook group. So she talked with us about her smell training program and how it works, and also talked about the importance of being able to come together as a community on Facebook to talk with other people who are similar to us and that have smell disorders. So patients are an extremely valuable resource for scientists and doctors, and she just wanted to remind us all of that that we have a collective knowledge that can help propel the field of smell and taste disorder research forward in the years to come. 
The next session of the conference were five-minute patient talks, and this was where patients got to tell their own stories, and this was definitely my favorite part of the entire conference because I got to hear other patients who have anosmia or other types of smell disorder share their personal stories. So the main takeaway for me was that having anosmia is isolating and can impact mental health in a big way. Some patients struggle with shame about having anosmia, and it takes a while to accept the fact that we do. When we realize that we have this condition, we can either ignore it or we can embrace it. And it sounded to me like a lot of us patients go through the cycle of pretending that nothing is wrong and deciding not to think about it. Myself, I was in that space for about seven and a half years before fully embracing my own anosmia and leaning in to it this year by starting this podcast and really starting to explore what it means to me. So it also felt to me like there's a lot of pressure to pretend we're normal and that this condition that affects us so much shouldn't impact our mental health as much as it might, that we shouldn't feel depressed about it, and that if we do feel depressed about it, maybe we shouldn't talk about it with other people. So I definitely want to emphasize that this is my interpretation of what was said and that what I th- and it's what I think, and again, what I think doesn't necessarily reflect how everyone else meant or felt about what was shared. So during this patient sharing session, one of the people who got to speak was Leah Holzel, and she does culinary research and design for anosmia. She's based out of New York City, and if you'd like to get in touch with her, you can send her an email at lholzel at mac.com, and that's spelled L-H-O-L-Z-E-L at mac.com. At the conference, she brought and shared golden biscotti with fennel and curry sugar, and it was excellent. I really like it and would definitely buy some more. (laughs) So I didn't know that I liked biscotti as much as I do because it's not something that I regularly eat. Her biscotti was special because it was created specifically with anosmics in mind. It was both sweet and spicy, which is something that I'm discovering that I really enjoy eating. Finally, the last presentation is titled Navigating the U.S. Health System and was given by Edmund Pribitkin, MD and MBA from Thomas Jefferson University. So the main takeaway for me from his presentation was that he told us that patients don't care about how much you know, but about how much you care. And he was referring to the doctors from whom we go and seek treatment. So another thing I took away from his presentation was that as a patient, we do have to be our own advocates, we have to be patient, and we also have to be persistent in finding out what is wrong with us, because a lot of the doctors we go to may not have ever heard of anosmia before. The conference concluded with a social hour, and then those who chose to attend could go to the special dinner, which was called Double Tasty Dinner and a Show. I was able to attend this dinner with my husband, and it was definitely a unique experience for me. So the dinner was a celebration of the Monell Center's 50th anniversary. They opened up back in 1968, and they've been researching chemosensory disorders ever since then. So throughout dinner, Danielle Reed, Chris Kelly, Pamela Dalton, and Paul Wise got up to share important and interesting facts about smell and taste with us as we enjoyed our meal. So the chefs for the meal were Daniel Stern from Philadelphia's R2L restaurant and Chris Nugent, executive chef, executive chef at Feast Your Eyes Catering. So at our dinner table, there were normosmics, aka people who can smell, and it was fascinating for me to compare the experiences we were having while eating the same dishes. Okay, so the dinner menu consisted of the following sections, and I'll start off with the first one. So the first one was titled Bitter, 
and it was lightly cured fluke sushi with a bitter green wrap, campari, and grapefruit glaze. I've definitely gone on record in the past stating how much I don't like sushi because it's just squishy and mushy and doesn't really taste like anything to me, but this actually wasn't bad. The sushi was very thin and it was on top of the rice. It was almost like seaweed paper. So I thought it was tolerable because it wasn't a huge chunk of just squishiness. I think that the grapefruit rind was the most bitter part of this dish. It was sort of candied, but it was really, really bitter when you put it in your mouth. Overall, I enjoyed this one, and I think everybody else at the table did as well. Okay, so the next part of the menu was titled Anosmia, and it was a salad of sensory contrasts, sunflower seed crackers, parmesan crackle, lemon and cayenne mallow, pickled raw and roasted peppers, pickled grapes, celery, and soy dressing. So unexpectedly, I actually really loved the lemon and cayenne mallow. It was basically a spicy marshmallow. I don't really know how to explain it. It was sweet and spicy all together, and I would definitely buy these as a snack if they were available for sale. The peppers were a no-go for me because roasted peppers equals smooshy, slimy things in my mouth, and I only attempted one before I decided against eating any more of them. I did love the sunflower seed and Parmesan crackles, uh, which were basically crackers. Anything crunchy is always good for me. So the next part of the menu was titled Chemical Sensation, and it was spicy taquitos with a yogurt dip paired with cucumber soda with ginger ice cubes. I really liked the taquito, but I didn't really pick up on any of the spice, and the cucumber soda with ginger ice cubes didn't really taste like anything to me. My husband said that the ginger was really strong in the ice cubes, but I wasn't getting any of it. And the yogurt dip was bland to me and didn't really taste like anything, but all in all, I really liked the taquitos. The last part of the menu was titled Sensory Integration, and it was a roasted lamb chop or smoked and braised lamb shank or shoulder with chickpeas, rice and lentil cakes, and curry and harissa spice. I'd never heard of harissa spice before this, and I'm not really sure that I tasted it that much, but it sounds very fancy. So I really enjoyed this one. Um, the chef came up and said that he was tasked with creating this one without using any extra salt, but I thought that the meat was cooked well and it was salty enough on its own. This was probably my second most favorite thing to eat that night. The final part of this dinner was the live show of Gastropod, which is a podcast hosted by Cynthia Graber and Nicola Twilley. So the ladies talked about foods that are considered aphrodisiacs, and they called up some very brave volunteers who had to eat oysters and chocolate. The chocolate part didn't sound bad, but I'm glad I didn't volunteer because I don't think I could handle eating an oyster. In fact, I know that I can't because the last time that I attempted to eat an oyster, I wanted to throw up. I had them cook it. And that didn't help. When I bit into it, uh, which I'm not even sure you're supposed to do, it gushed out salty water and it was really gross. And I wouldn't want to repeat that. So they also had um, different types of chocolates on the table for us to try as they did their show. So we kind of participated along with them. The chocolates were made by Eclat Chocolates. And if you're interested in buying some of their chocolates, you can visit their website, which is just eclatchocolate.com. And I'm not sure if I'm saying that right or not, but I'll include that in the episode description. So they're a gourmet Pennsylvania chocolate company. And one type of chocolate that we tried was 100% cocoa, which was disgustingly bitter. I had the tiniest piece and it was really, really 
harsh, but the rest of the eclat chocolates were delicious and I would definitely recommend them. So Cynthia and Nicola did a great show and they're very engaging. If you haven't listened to their podcast, Gastropod, make sure to check it out. You can go to gastropod.com to learn more. So all in all, the conference was really amazing. I was able to connect with other people who have anosmia and meet people who have other types of smell disorders. I got to talk to scientists who are focused on research in this field, and I got to go to a special dinner which focused on people like me who have a smell disorder. I was also able to confirm that I really do have anosmia. I was able to take the smell identification test, and I scored 6 out of 40. And I also got to take the self-administered computerized olfactory testing system, or SCOTS test, and I scored a 2 out of 12 on that one. It like puffs smells into your face, and then you get to click a picture of what it is you think you're smelling. So it's nice to have my condition kind of validated in a concrete fashion, if that makes any sense. I did take a smell test back in the days when I first figured out that I couldn't smell, but I don't even remember the results. Thank you all for listening. I hope you'll send your personal anosmia stories to me at thesmellpodcast at gmail.com so I can make some more mini-sodes. You can also get a hold of me on Twitter at thesmellpodcast. If you find an interesting news article related to taste or smell, I always love receiving those, so please send it my way. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Smell Podcast so that other listeners can find the show. And, this is new, but if you are interested in financially supporting the show, you can now do so by clicking on the link in the episode description. I appreciate your support. Alright, until next time, have an excellent day.